The indie author revolution has been around for more than a decade, but we indies continue to push the boundaries of what we're capable of, from getting over initial prejudices to staring down perfectionism and author imposter syndrome, we've become a force to reckon with. Now, after years of hustle and grind, we indies are rebelling again. Gone are the days of publishing a book a month until we drop, and in its place we're sowing the seeds of a better way. A way with more ease, abundance, and flow. Get ready to learn about indie authorship from a whole new perspective. We're about to cover everything from releasing your poverty mentality to manifesting your millionaire author destiny. I'm Carissa Andrews, and this is the Author Revolution Podcast. Hi there, and welcome back to the Author Revolution Podcast. Guys, this is a podcast interview I have been so looking forward to sharing with you since the beginning of this year. If you've been listening to any of the Author Revolution podcasts up until this point, you know that we have talked an awful lot about Claire Taylor's Reclaiming Your Author Career Enneagram book. And finally, finally, I get to share with you my conversation with Claire as we talk about the Enneagram, talk about her book, and of course, the Kickstarter that led to the book being released and earning a whopping $25,000. It was an incredible journey for her, and she shares it here in the podcast interview. So without further ado, I would love for you to listen to this interview, take on board some of the information about Enneagram, how you can utilize it for your author career and your writing, because you can do it for both. It's pretty awesome. And let's just go forward and have a listen. Well, hi, Claire. Welcome to the Author Revolution podcast. I am so excited to have you here finally because we've been talking on the podcast. I don't even know how many times now. I've lost count um, about your book that we'll talk about in a little bit here. But and I also in the introduction spoke a little bit about how you kind of came into my sphere and and how I've been following some of the things that you've been doing. But for my audience who maybe is a little bit new to you, do you want to tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I am first and foremost a fiction author. I write a lot of books. Um, if you're watching video, that those are all my books. I've written 35, six, something like that. Anyway, that's what I do first and foremost. And that's, I think, important to what I do with helping authors because I find it's very important to have that experience. So I do that on, you know, that's sort of my main job. And then on the side, I guess, which is turning into another full-time job, <laughs> I help authors with aligning their stories if they get stuck and aligning their careers if they get stuck there too, using the Enneagram framework, which is, I'm sure we'll talk extensively about it, but it's a framework yeah. that works from a person's core motivations. So there, it's Ennea, meaning nine, and Graham, meaning a shape. So it's basically a nine different core motivations that drive people figuring out which one is yours and how that manifests in your life and how it creates a lens through which you view the entire world, where you're putting your attention, what you're attracting through that, and then noticing the patterns that arise from that Enneagram type and becoming sort of the master of them. That is so cool. To me, it's so fascinating to look at the Enneagram and well, your book does such a great job. So let's start there, actually. Okay. So <laughs> obviously, I know you from the Selmer Book Show. Amazing show, by the way. And I was introduced to Reclaim Your Author Career. I can't even remember who originally recommended it. But since then, I've talked to Martha Carr. I've talked to Troy Lambert. I mean, we've shown it on the podcast a couple of times now. And we're like, oh, my God. 
This is amazing. <laughs> so do you want to first talk a little bit about the book, about Reclaim Your Career and, and how authors obviously need to go out and get it? <clears throat> um, yeah. So this is, uh, this is a book that sort of rose out of a need for it to be there. I, I really love writing fiction, so I don't put anything into my nonfiction business that doesn't need to be there. Right. Yeah. Um, but this was just sort of that, that gap that I saw and the trend that I've seen of people, you know, everyone went into the gold rush, right? We remember those days of Kindle. It was good. Things were easy. Uh, you know, cost per click, <laughs> per clicks were low and things have changed as they do in all industries as they develop. But some people are still trying the same patterns and, and finding that it doesn't work, finding that it leads to burnout uh, and not really understanding why they are so tired and so frustrated <laughs> all the time. And I really care about the industry. I care about the people in it. A lot of my friends, most of my friends, the people I know and talk to on a regular basis are indie authors. And so it just really deeply affected me. And I thought, hey, there's this tool that has really helped me sort of step outside of my patterns, notice that they're patterns and not necessarily hard, fast reality, and make adjustments, try new things that then take me to the next level. So that's how I wrote this book. And it's, it's based on the Enneagram framework. So it's based around who you are. And I think that's where the strategy should start, not what you what is out there that you could do? And we talk a lot about strategies and tactics and various things to try on the Selmar Book Show. We're always, you know, throwing it out there. And there's so much you could do. And there's so much that if you did it like this, it may increase your odds, but it may not be for you. So every single person, every single Enneagram type has the possibility of hitting success, but only if they're going to do it their way and build it around them. So I use concentric circles in this book to describe an author career. We have creative values, which everything needs to fall within your creative values. And those break down into money motivation and writing motivation. If it's not going to hit your values, you're going to hit burnout. That's just the way that it goes. So we're getting really clear on that. And then we sort of go down in those circles, you know, tighter and tighter towards the center. And we hit persona what your persona is. A lot of the times people go, I don't have anything to bring to my readers. You have things to bring to your readers. You're already bringing them, but you may not be consciously aware of it. So we talk about what you can bring to your readers. Then we talk about themes and these are themes for your stories. But these are also themes that are aligned to your life. Certain Enneagram types have these life themes that just keep coming up over and over again as a result of the attention we're paying based on our core fear and core desire. So finding what those themes are that you're going to be able to write to and just write the crap out of really just you're going to be obsessed with them. And they're going to be things that keep coming up that you keep, you know, uh, just sort of turning over in your mind. Why not write your books about that? That's going to be fuel. And then we look at our protagonists and how to write the protagonists so that they are their own character and they're not half your type and half the type that you meant them to be. So that's the way the book's structured. I have a free course that also is sort of like a primer for that. If you go to uh, ffs.media forward slash five, like the number day, that's where the free course is. Cause I just really, I want to get people primed. Absolutely. It's so cool. And to me, it, like the way that you kicked it off from what I understand was Kickstarter. I came in it after the fact. How did that whole scenario go for you? Was the Kickstarter fun? Did it, it work well for you? Yeah, I love Kickstarter. I'm actually in the middle of a fiction Kickstarter as we're recording this. 
um, which is my second. So the Reclaim Your Author Career Kickstarter was my first Kickstarter, but I've been in a mastermind with Monica Leonel for seven years. I don't know, a very long time. I've known her a long time and she's been talking about this Kickstarter. Of course, her and Russell Nolte are like the king and queen of Kickstarter. So I was looking for somewhere to do that, some project to do that with. And then I realized I've been developing so much around storytelling. I have multiple courses, multiple master classes, uh, all kinds of material. And this is all stuff that was just sort of like, oh, there's a need that I'll fill over here and I'll do this. Or I'm really obsessed with this concept. I'm going to explore it, form some ideas and then teach it. That's just how I process information. So I had all this stuff and then I was like, oh, this is perfect for a Kickstarter because I was already writing the book. The right. book had been in progress for a long time. And then once I realized Kickstarter was the place for it, then I really got that sort of, you know, fire in me to go, oh, okay, this is it. All, you know, full steam ahead. I love Kickstarter because I love burst energy. A lot of people think that you have to be consistent to get success. And there's just, that's not true. You can have burst energy. You can work in bursts. You can switch between things as long as you kind of limit, you know, you don't always start new things. You can have multiple projects going on and just, you know, be careful how you define success and, and you're golden. That's how I do it. And the Kickstarter, yeah, it hit something like a little over 25 grand, which wow. I was not expecting. Right. That's amazing. So, yeah, that was great. And really, it was so cool to just get this book out and start hearing back from people. Because I mean, as authors know, you sit on these projects forever. And you're <laughs> like, Oh, right, I have no idea how this is going to be received. Okay, let's go. Let's go see how it how it turns out. So that's been really gratifying. That's awesome. Especially when you when you're like you said already, your fiction side is like the main side. And so when you're doing something on the nonfiction side, it's like, how will this be received? And will people think this is Weird. I mean, when did you first start getting interested in Enneagram? What was like the impetus um, of it? Well, I had heard about it years ago. So my mom and sister did a like Enneagram workshop at their church and came cool. back and started telling me about how I was whatever number. They were wrong on all accounts, <laughs> but very misunderstood. That's that's, that's my four stress type coming through. I'm very misunderstood. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so. I had taken the test and I had tested it as a nine and I was like, that doesn't seem like me. So I wasn't interested in it. And that is generally what happens when people take a test. The tests are not super accurate. You have to like look at your top few scores and read about them and learn, you know, about each type, how it looks, and then kind of assess the totality of your life to figure out your type. But if you test, you test wrong. That's usually when people are like, nah, I don't really care about the Enneagram because they haven't connected with it. But when you read your type, it's like a kick to the chest. So you're like, oh, this explains all a of the lot. things that I that, <laughs> that have not been going so well for me. So I didn't get that kick to the chest back, you know, in high school when I first learned about it. So it was years later and my mastermind started talking about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of know about that. We all took our types and it became such a useful tool with the seven of us in that group that it became a language that we were able to speak and we understood each other. I would give a suggestion based on not what I would do, but what that type would be most likely to be comfortable with. And so it was really a great individualization tool. And I think that it, it helped accelerate everyone in that mastermind 
And it kept us from wasting time being like, well, this is what I would do to someone who is like, yeah, that's never going to happen. So then I started using it in my writing. It helped with my protagonists thinking about that and making sure that I wasn't just, if I was writing a protagonist or even just any character who wasn't my type, I wasn't making them, you know, make the decisions that I would make in that stressful situation. I was having them make the decisions that they would make based on their core desire and core fear. And that just made writing so much easier. (laughs) It gave me peace of mind that people aren't going to give you the whole, that character would never do that. Because we know instinctively, we we recognize these types instinctively. We recognize a cohesive, you know, like personality type. And, And so when someone switches over, which happens very frequently in fiction, when we start writing a character that's kind of an amalgamation of other characters or other people we know, and then we unintentionally project ourselves onto it. So keeping that separate really helped me. And then just talking to people about their characters. A lot of the times people were instinctively writing protagonists that were their type. So when I was doing my story alignment conversations, I found that I was also giving a lot of information about the author I was talking to. Like, yeah, okay, you know, a type nine would do this. Uh, You're a type nine. So you've probably noticed this pattern in your life. And that became very useful to the authors I was talking to. And I was getting good feedback. So I was like, all right, let's, let's make this its own thing. So we don't have to talk about, you know, personal career stuff and story stuff in the same session. We can keep it, you know, as separate as those two things can ever be. Sure. That is really cool. Okay. So speaking of different types and whatever, um, I read in your book that you will go through or have gone through posts like on Facebook or where, wherever, and just be like, okay, that's a type one. That's a type four. That's a type. Have you gotten any information about what type I might be? Like, would you be able to describe what I am just based off of what you know in this limited time frame? Or do you have well, questions? I have been doing most of the talking, but yes, I know. Um, <laughs> my, I mean, my initial guess would be probably a three, um, but possibly possibly a six as well. I feel like somewhere in that three, six, nine triad is, is the vibe. But again, this is our first conversation. And yep. so sometimes people have behaviors, they have overlays from other experiences that, that can make it hard to tell. Sure. You're, you're in the right triad. So oh, are you an, are you a nine? I am a nine. Yeah. With a oh, one okay. way, apparently. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard to tell when someone's in that three, six, nine triad. Or, or not, it's not really a triad. It's just a, a triangle. It's, those are the only, like that's the only closed triangle in the Enneagram. Meaning if you're a three under stress, you're going to look like a nine. In growth, you're going to look more like a healthy six. If you're six, you're going to look like a three and a nine. A nine is going to look like a three and a six, right? So they sure. all kind of are connected. And it's really hard to tell sometimes. And that's something that people run into a lot when they're getting typed is, I don't know if I'm, a three or a six. And so you have to sort out, well, let's look at the healthy and unhealthy behaviors and which one, or, you know, adaptive and maladaptive, resourceful, less resourceful. There's all kinds of lingo and see which ones you relate to the most. Sure. When I first took the test, like years and years ago, I think I was a one or it came up as a one Mm -hmm. and it like, like you, it didn't feel quite right. It was close. I felt like it was close, but it wasn't quite wasn't quite there. And so when I took the test again, after um, your recommendations of where to go, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, that's why. Okay, I get it. Now I understand. And I got that kick to the chest thing that you were talking about, because uh-huh. I was like, okay, mm, 
Yep. That that's better. <laughs> so yeah. it's interesting that people will like get typed a, a wrong way at first or maybe a few times. So mm-hmm. that's, that's really good to know that they need to almost take a couple of tests and just double check like wh- where, where it's all falling and mm-hmm. what, what is the pattern. That's really cool. Yeah. And always read up on it. There are great resources. I mean, I have, these aren't even all the Enneagram books I have. And there's probably eight here. I, it, it just, the more you know about it, I mean, I feel like my job is just to introduce people to it, get them interested and get them researching it for themselves because I can't possibly, you know, go to each person, but it's such a great resource. It's such a great framework. And there's so much out there for self-discovery. And because, because it is like a, a framework of liberation rather than a framework of control, which we experience a lot of frameworks of control in our life. Sure. Um, it's safe for people to explore it themselves. It very rarely goes off into some sort of toxic territory because it's all laid out there. It's if you're doing this, you're not in a healthy version of yourself. Like right. this is the healthy version. So it's perfect for self-discovery, cult proof. <laughs> right, right. And I love that, like you were talking about too, when you're looking at it, not just for your own career, which obviously is such a great guidance system for when whether you're doing it in a healthy or unhealthy manner, but it's also... I think there's a lot of authors who, like you said, when you're creating your characters, it's hard to know, like, what would this person do? Where if you understand the different types, it's so much clearer to see, like, how they would operate and how they would be interacting. And so, I mean, when I got to that part of the, the book, it was it was so golden. I was, I was actually in my plotting stage for a new series I was doing. And so I was like, this is great. I can use this on all my characters. Wah! So, of course, I was sitting down with, you know, these books and um, the positive traits this is the emotional mm-hmm. source, but whatever, positive, negative, yeah. all those things, get them all together. I, I must've, I don't even know what I looked like to my husband. My whole desk was like books. <laughs> and he was just like, what? Yeah. Are you doing? If you look like a conspiracy theorist, you're doing it right. Right. <laughs> right. That's what I thought too. <laughs> so when I was talking with Troy and we were talking about your book, obviously he called this absolutely the biggest game changer in his career. He's so excited Aww. about it. So I'm just curious, when it comes to what you've written and what you think is the most important part of the book, what do you think authors should like absolutely like put their energy and effort into when it comes to, because you've got so many cool aspects that they could focus on, obviously they should, mm-hmm. they should focus on the whole thing, but what, what do you think is like the big, the big thing for you? Well, I think the linchpin right now, because of just where the industry is at and it's really at a turning point a lot of burnout, a lot of frustration. And there there doesn't need to be, you know, you can you can have the same situation, you can be frustrated in it, or you can be not frustrated in it, you can accept it. So I, I think that understanding why you can't do the things that other people can do. And this isn't like, like, you can try, you can try, and it's going to be like, hitting the gas and the brake at the same time, right. But understanding that I think will reduce frustration. And then I think the most important thing is figuring out your creative values. You need to figure out what you want your money to do for you, not where you want to spend it, but what you want to feel when you spend it. Because that's ultimately how we spend money based on how it makes us feel when we do it. And and also how it makes you feel when you earn it. What does earning money mean to you? And what does it tell you about yourself? And is that like a healthy um, idea that you're you're holding, or is that an unconscious belief that maybe you don't need? And then, what do you want your writing to do for you emotionally? And are you making sure that it's doing that? And is the pursuit of money for the sake of money 
causing you to forfeit some of your writing motivations? Uh, is it making you step away from what will actually fill you up, what will actually get you excited to sit down at the keyboard each day? Right. That is so key, especially for all the authors who I know the whole burnout thing was a very big thing, you know, in 2017, when the whole rapid release system kind of got built and people were like, write as many books as possible forever and mm-hmm. ever. And no one really thought of like how to pull back and make this a little bit more sustainable at the mm-hmm. time. And um, it, it is interesting, though, just to see how how those cycles play out in uh, an author's career. And if they if they are focused on those values like you were talking about, they can pull that back in and understand for themselves that it doesn't, you know, they don't have to operate just because people are saying this is the way everyone should do this thing that they themselves shouldn't necessarily adhere to it. I, I think that's really key. It was something mm-hmm. that I I definitely found early on in my career where, where you try to do, I don't know, that must be my, my wing one coming through where it was like, you try to do what the people are saying. And you're just finding yourself hitting that wall of burnout and going, this is not even a sustainable way to operate in life. Like how, what? And so it's, it is, it's so key to, to know what those values are so that you can create and design your career to look like mm-hmm. you want it to look. It's, it, I think it's so powerful the way that you've described it in the book. It's great. Well, and just to bring it a little bit more concrete for people who aren't super familiar with the Enneagram yet, let's do the example of like a type two who's called the helper by often called the helper, sometimes called other things, but let's just call them the helper because I like that one. Um, I like that label. They're very helpful type twos. Their core fear is to be unloved or unwanted and their core desire is to be loved and wanted. So the core fear, core desire, usually two sides of the same coin, but it's all about that love and worthiness of love for the two. So if they make $20 in sales on their books, where would be the place that a two could spend that money that would give them the most emotional satisfaction? And when you understand the motivation of the two, which is to help people, genuinely very giving and caring people. They are, they are the caretakers. They anticipate people's needs before most people even know they have needs. So the twos are very emotionally sensitive to other people's needs. Not so much their own wants and needs all the time. <laughs> Uh, but they're very focused on other people and it's in a very genuine way. It's not, you know, it's not just, I want something from you. It can become a little bit forced reciprocation if the two sort of goes into some unhealthy places, but generally speaking, they like to give to people. That is what gives them energy. So that 20 bucks, you can spend it on, you know, a promo that may or may not move any books and maybe you invest a little bit. But for the two, what's really going to fill them up is if a friend is having a really hard time, maybe they just lost their job or something, something went wrong. Maybe they're just having a bad day. Spending that 20 bucks to take that friend out to coffee is going to give the two, it's going to fill their tank. It's going to make them appreciate that $20 that they got from their book more than just blowing it on something else, right? Uh, Just saying, okay, well, everyone says I should run this promo with you know, free, free book penguin or whatever, you know, whatever the, the thing is going to be. That's not, I don't think that's a real uh, promo list. So no, no one goes searching for it. I'm just trying not, to, trying not to call out any promo list, you know, and maybe it moves some copies. Maybe you get some stuff, but probably you're just going to get some freebie seekers. Right. Uh, and then it's like, oh, but everyone told me to do that. Well, it's really about re, I mean, reclaiming, you know, taking that back and saying, well, what works for me? What do I want my book money to accomplish in my life? How do I want that to make my life richer? 
And so a chew doing that would be great for, you know, take your friend out. It's going to make you feel amazing. It's not really necessarily going to do it for, say, a five, the investigator, who is about self-sufficiency and being capable. They would probably spend that on something like a book. And that would make them very happy. You know, book in some niche interests that they have. Um, and that would, that would be a better use of the 20 bucks for them to really refill the, their well and motivate them. So just as a concrete example, that's sort of how knowing your type and knowing how it relates to money can benefit you and keep you in this long term. I think that's really cool. It's It's such a neat kind of mental game to play too for yourself. Like what what would I really feel good about putting that mm-hmm. money in and, and how am I operating in a way that is opposed to what I'm, uh, I'm actually like core motivated by? Because I think a lot of us, especially like you were saying, there's so many shiny objects to be putting your money on when it comes to growing your author career and trying to do the thing. And so if you're so, if you're so hyper-focused on growth or on readership or on sales, you, you oftentimes I've seen this and I, I know I've done it for sure push aside the thing that would make you feel good for the thing that you think is going to get you bigger gains. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that, that almost always will lead to that burnout and frustration and overwhelm. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it's also important to, to know within your book selling business, what is the part that matters to you? Certain types are going to care a lot about take, you know, caring for their readers and developing that relationship. In which case, you know, that 20 bucks could go towards a little giveaway to say thank you to your readers because you're deepening that connection. Certain types are not going to care that much about that and are gonna say, I'm gonna put 20 bucks towards Amazon ads and that's gonna feel very good to me. You know, So sure. even just within the industry where you spend your money is there are all, there's just a whole range of goals. And a lot of us have been sort of pressured to reduce our business to just not even profit, but revenue, which is super unhealthy, right? Because revenue, sure, okay, you make 100 grand. Well, how much did you spend? 90 grand? Okay, that's not necessarily <laughs> the best approach, right? Right. But it ends up being about revenue. And that is just not feeding anyone. No, well, it's feeding Amazon or it's, some of the other si- mm, sales yep. sites. Yeah, <laughs> some of yep. those bigger sales sites. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's feeding them very well. Yes. Yeah, especially since uh, Amazon ads became a thing. I think that's definitely been a (laughs) feeder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's also important to remember that Amazon's ads don't have to be effective for them to get paid. Yeah, same with Facebook, same with BookBub. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. They will take your money regardless of how well they serve. (laughs) Yeah, I believe Amazon ads is about a third of Amazon's uh, profit right now. Anyway. Wow. I think we covered that on Sell More Book Show recently. (laughs) That is not surprising to me whatsoever. (laughs) Thank goodness for people like Brian who actually teach authors Mm -hmm. how to do them effectively. Just saying. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we got to be careful which game we're playing. Absolutely. It's it's very key. Oh my gosh. So as a as a three, how does that work working with him? Is that fun? Speaking of Brian? Oh yeah, yeah. So Brian Cohen is a three. Um you know, I love surrounding myself with threes because I am not easily peer pressured. So <laughs> if, if someone suggests an idea and I go, that's icky, that's the end of the conversation. So that's sort of the, the tension between like ones and threes, right? Ones, we end up getting limited. So we are the reformers. We want to be good. We want to not be corrupt. That is at the core of everything. So we can seem kind of like squares sometimes because we 
are like, that's wrong. That's right. If it gets rigid, it's, it's ugly. It's not a cute look. So, um, <laughs> so if you're a one, you need to get healthy right away. No, that's not a problem <laughs> for ones because we love self-improvement because we want to be better, better, better. So, but that is like the core thing of the one <laughs> for me. If something seems like, uh, yeah, it's, it's allowed, but I don't like it. That can become limiting if you're cutting yourself off to too much and attaching morality to too many things where it doesn't belong. So by attaching, by, you know, becoming friends with threes and surrounding yourself with threes, as long as you're very clear on your own boundaries, it can sort of open your perspective. And that's just to hang out with any different type. If you're, you know, once you start to learn they have that different lens they're looking at the world through, you go, oh yeah, you can survive an entire life looking at the world that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, How does that work? What? <laughs> <laughs> I know. My way isn't the only way. People aren't filtering everything into the column of good, bad, good, bad. You know, threes are more filtering into success, failure, success, failure. So being around threes can really open your eyes to some cool marketing techniques because that is where they're focusing their attention. And so with Brian, he has, he and Monica is also a three. Um, they, they definitely give me new perspective. Whenever I'm like, I don't know what to do here. Like I need to brainstorm something. They are, they can brainstorm all day. Love it. <laughs> me, Monica and Brian are also number one strategic in Clifton Strength. So we, we do get, see that, you know, um, have that sort of commonality. But they can open my eyes to some things and maybe there are things that I can reconsider and go, oh, that's, that's not actually like a bad thing. That's perfectly fine. No one gets hurt. Okay. I, yeah, I will try that. And I would like to think that I can be a, a kind reminder that just because something is allowed doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean that it's the most ethical thing to do, which is, you know, my gift that I'm bringing around. I love so, it. <laughs> yeah, so it's, a, it's a good symbiotic relationship. So would you put Hermione then as a one as yes. well? Yes, yes, I was gonna say, yeah. I'm, Rory Gilmore's probably a one, yes, okay. Uh, yeah, Atticus Finch, we've got, we've got all kinds of people on team one. Batman is a one, actually, mm -hmm. so that's fun. Yeah, well, that's Bruce interesting. Wayne, oh, uh, he was very much in his four in the most recent Batman, Robert uh -huh. Pattinson. He was very much in his stress type of four, but gotcha. still focused at his core about being the good guy. And that's why he was struggling with the legacy of his father, who he thought was good and is not. Yeah. So that's there really are a lot, cool. of, a lot of ones in fiction, but Hermione Granger is pretty typical. <laughs> right. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> I can understand that. And I think for me as a, so going to the astrology side of things, I'm, I'm a Virgo. So I, I definitely lean on that wing one very well, but there were elements of it that just just didn't resonate. And so mm -hmm. it was, it, it's so interesting. Can you explain the wings a little bit for people? Absolutely. I'm, I'm never going to not explain something Enneagram when asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so the wing is whatever style is next to our dominant type. So we have one dominant type and yes, it's the same your whole life. Don't say it changed. If it feels like it changed, it's probably because you were living in a stress type and now you're in a dominant type, or you were living in a dominant type and now you're in a stress type, come talk to someone like me and we can help you figure it out. But it's the same your whole life. So there are numbers on either side. The Enneagram is arranged in a circle. And so if you are a one, you have a two on one side and you have the nine on the other because nine and one when it circles back. Anyway, 
If you're a four, you could have a three wing or a five wing. If you're a seven, you could have an eight wing or a six wing. So the wings aren't just random numbers, they're a number next to you. And so you take some of those attributes of that style to support your dominant type. And so it looks a little bit different. And you can have one wing, you can have two wings, you can have no wings. Uh, it's just, it's a much more fluid framework than a lot of people you know, talk about. Because if it's fluid, then it's hard to make memes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, the, the, the memification, I could really get on the soapbox about this, but I think the memification of the Enneagram is the worst thing that's ever happened to it. Because as soon as it becomes a meme, people want to identify with it. And identifying is the first step, but if you get stuck in that, you never get to transformation. So if you identify too much, you use it as a form of control, feeling like you're in control of yourself. I recognize these patterns and I'm not going to change them. It's really, the challenge is really learning to let go of those patterns because you're going into the unknown when you start letting go of your pattern. And that's scary. And that's a lack of control, but that's where transformation happens. So anyway, it's a very fluid system. So you can have a wing in one situation, one part of your life and have kind of another wing in another situation, but there's usually kind of a dominant wing. So as a nine with a one wing, you have that sort of peace at the center. You're seeking that inner peace, that peace around you, a little bit conflict avoidant, but that one wing <laughs> creates, creates some stability. It's that sort of moral compass that can support you. So you have a lot of those. Uh, it's like a quiet morality. It's not like <laughs> type one where we're like, this is the right way to live. Um, <laughs> it, it is a guidance, you know, a moral compass that sort of guides the nine because the nine, uh, one of the gifts is being able to see things from all perspectives. And, and it's saying, not only do I understand what you're saying, but I can basically get in your head, see it, and I, I feel it. I feel the rightness of what you're saying. You're also correct. <laughs> that, that is also true. And so it's a genuine understanding of the connectedness of, uh, you know, the entire universe that the nines have, which makes it very hard to make decisions when you can see <laughs> all sides and they all seem equal. And it, it can sometimes, uh, I don't know if this is true for you, but it can sometimes mean that when nines tell stories, everyone else is like, get to the point because, <laughs> because the nine is like, but it's all relevant. It's all relevant because I see the connectedness of everything. And then the ones are like, yes, but I would really like this to be more, you know, to the point, like, give me the interesting part. I need to get to the heart of this. And threes are like, can we be a little bit more efficient with our time? And then the nines <laughs> are like, no, 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 you're going to listen to the full breadth and I'm going to paint you this picture, which makes nines very descriptive and engrossing writers. So yeah, that one wing is going to be sort of that quiet moral compass that helps support the nine's peacefulness. And then an eight wing would be a little bit more of that forcefulness and that enforcer type. Um, so the nine would be less of like the, the diplomat and more of the like uh, mediator, like getting in the, into the conflict and saying, no, this is how it's gonna go because I, I can see all of this. So I see all your perspectives, I hear ya, here's, you know, but it's less like the judge. It's more like helping other people see eye to eye. The ones will get in there and be the absolute referee of you're wrong, you're right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and the nines <laughs> will get in there and go, oh, you're all right. Hey, look, here's the middle ground between all of you. Here's a happy solution. Wouldn't you love that? 
Um, and everyone goes, yeah, I would love that. Thanks. (laughs) And then there's some of them that are like, there is no middle ground. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's always interesting. That whole conflict uh, avoidance thing. I I totally felt that I feel very called out right now. (laughs) And I have way too many people in my house. There are five kids who live with us and then my husband. So I'm just saying there's always a lot of conflict and I'm usually like, I'm out. See ya. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel that. I mean, (laughs) sometimes it's a little too much um but there are also subtypes that play in instincts of each type sort of there's like social one-to-one and self-preservation that kind of determines how you can move in different circles and um so like my husband is a social slash like one-to-one nine he also has a one wing and he i mean he's on the hostage negotiation team so well, there you go. <laughs> he, so he, he is that negotiator. He, he, he goes in, he really, he, he knows how to deescalate. Gotcha. So that's, you know, you would think like, and he doesn't want to be on law enforcement. Like they're <laughs> constantly going into conflict, but it's like being able to use that gift all the time. When we find a place where sure. we can use our gift all the time and it's appreciated, that's where we're going to find a lot of, you know, fulfillment. Yeah. Teens don't appreciate that. <laughs> No, I really don't. There's no fulfillment. There is none there. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be an interesting place to be, though. I, I'm like, as a knight, I'm like, no, no, I would not mm-hmm. want to be a hostage negotiator. <laughs> yeah, just... I, I think his eight wing comes out a little bit. I, I would say, yeah, yeah. that's great. <laughs> well, Claire, thank you so much for coming on the show and describing Enneagram and your obviously your amazing book. Do you want to? Let my audience know a little bit more about how they can find you, where they can go for your courses, your book, your fiction books, resources, all the good things. Yep. It is all at ffs.media. FFS Media is my business. I do all my fiction and nonfiction under it. So if you go to ffs.media, it'll ask you, are you a reader or a writer? And you can click, I'm a writer, and it'll take you to all my resources. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. I enjoyed it. Isn't utilizing the Enneagram for your author career and for your writing an incredibly interesting idea? I know for me, when I first started hearing more about Claire Taylor's book, I was like so fascinated about it. One of my partners in crime, she's one of our accountability partners for Amy Porterfield's Digital Course Academy. We've talked for a long time and she's so interested in Enneagram. And it was one of those things where I had done the testing and just kind of was like, it's all right. It's okay. And I was still kind of coming out as that like one Enneagram type. And while it's similar for me to what I really am, it just didn't quite resonate. But at the time when we were doing the course, I think I was definitely operating out of my stress mode, right? The the Enneagram three type. And so I wasn't quite connecting with who I truly was, what I was really looking for. And now I'm in a much more stable, like Enneagram nine growth place. So I can see things a little bit more clearly now. And so it was very interesting for me to understand Enneagram back then, but then now also bringing in into like, how is it incorporated for the author career? So Claire's book, when it came on the scene for me, (laughs) it was obvious that the universe was like, hey, you need to check this thing out, first of all, because it was like, we had Martha Carr and we had Troy and we had I don't even know how many people at the, you know, by the time Claire actually came onto this podcast that I spoke with, where it was just like, there's a lot of people that are telling me I need to check this book out and obviously bring Claire on. 
So it was just so much fun to finally have that conversation with her. And, to, you know, I've been a fan of the Selmar Book Show for a long time. And so hearing more about what she is doing and on the side of learning all, about all that she does when it comes to helping the author community, obviously, it was just a no brainer to bring her on and talk with her about this amazing book. So if you haven't yet had the chance to check out Reclaiming Your Author Career, I highly recommend that you do so. It's one of those books that has kind of become my staple of like go-to reference books when I am in the outlining phase. So like I'll use, you know, the, the emotional thesaurus and I'll use the emotional wound thesaurus and I'll use those types of books when I'm creating my characters. But oh yeah, this book is going to become and already has become one of my reference books for building characters and for understanding their motivations because it's that good. Obviously, <laughs> it helps you understand your own motivations as an author as well, so that you can identify with the type of author career you really want to have. And I think that's so key. One of the things that I really just knew early on when I was starting this whole rapid release journey and understood for myself, at least that like, writing a book a month is just not sustainable. For, at least for me, it's just not sustainable. It's not something I enjoy. It's not what motivates me. And I knew that there were other people out there that would feel the same. And so it's interesting to me to see how we, once we identify what our goal motivations are, can really come into our own and drop the, the feelings of overwhelmment and the feelings of burnout so that we can embrace what we really enjoy about the writing process and our author careers and take them on as our own. And sometimes I think we need that person out there that just says, you know what, I know everyone's saying to do it this way, but it's okay to trust yourself too. And I'm so glad that Claire is becoming that person as well, someone who is out there in the world and letting people know that it's okay to be your individual self. It's okay to look at things and operate in your career in a way that feels good to you. Because we authors, we are fragile creatures sometimes. And sometimes we just need that little reassurance letting us know that we're on the right track. Well, my friend, if that sounds like you, you are on the right track. You are you for a reason. You have your goals and motivations for a reason. Trust them and move forward with them confidently, knowing that they're going to lead you to the exact right success for you. All right? So if you'd like to get the transcript to today's podcast episode, or if you'd like to click out to Claire's site or anything that we talked about in the podcast today, make sure you head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash 176. And of course, if you are hearing this before April 17th, don't forget we are going to be launching, live launching the Abundant Author Alignment course next month. We kick it off on April 17th. So if you're interested in getting in on any of the pre-launch emails, perhaps the pre-launch pricing might still be available for you if you hear this and get into it right now, <laughs> head over to millionaireauthorcoach.com forward slash alignment to get on that wait list because emails are still going out until the end of this week, which is the final week of March. After that, after April 1st, the price is going to go up to its normal launch price. So make sure you get on the wait list so that you can get those emails and the pre-launch pricing. Okay, guys, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. I hope you enjoy this process, get Claire's book, start digging in and learning more about yourself and the characters that you're trying to write. And of course, go forth and start your author revolution.
This podcast episode has been brought to you by four amazing people. Daphne Garrison, Tammy Tyree, Quinn Ward, and Scarlett Braden, who are Author Revolution Podcast Patreon supporters. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a patron, head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash Patreon to find out what the awesome membership levels are and what you end up getting. The Author Revolution Podcast is here to provide tips, tricks, and tools for embracing a prolific author mindset and making your dreams of becoming a full-time author a reality. In order to continue providing the quality content you've come to know and love, I would appreciate your support. As a one-woman show, the podcast takes a lot of time away from other tasks like writing. (laughs) Plus, your support also makes this mompreneur's heart smile. Head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash Patreon.